Today is November 23rd, 2021. This is Everyone Has an Opinion. My name is Juan, and I want to get right into it this week. What have I been saying for the past few weeks about the November, how stacked it is, the month of November, how stacked it is, November to remember, I've heard people say. I knew it was going to be great coming into it. On paper, it was incredible, right? But you really don't know until things take place. You can imagine how they're going to go. You can like the matchups on paper, like the names, like the styles going into it. But you never really know how they're going to deliver as far as entertainment goes and as far as competitiveness goes. But I think this month has already over-delivered and we still have one weekend left. <clears throat> Last weekend was Terrence Crawford versus Sean Porter for the Welterweight Championship. And it was a good one. Ladies and gentlemen, if you missed it, shame on you. Terrence Crawford versus Sean Porter was everything it was supposed to be. It was really entertaining. It was really competitive. And it ended spectacularly, whether you agreed with how it ended or not. Terrence Crawford got the stoppage in the 10th round after dropping Porter twice. And Porter's father slash trainer waved in the white towel, threw the white towel in and said, no, my son has had enough. And many of us can sit here and question the decision until we're blue in the face. We can sit here comfortable on couches and basements and have discussions on how, you know, he should have let him continue. Why did he do that? He embarrassed his son. His son was ready. Let me ask you a few things first. Number one, do you think Sean Porter was going to get up and win the fight? In the 10th round, after being dropped twice, already down, Six to three on my car on my scorecard. Could have had it much closer. It was that close some of the rounds. But do you think Porter was going to get up and win? If you can honestly say yes, you may stop listening to the podcast now. There is no way anyone, including Sean Porter, could think he was going to get up and win the fight. He was dropped twice. He was getting hit cleanly. The previous three rounds, there is no way Sean Porter was going to last another minute in that round, never mind winning the fight. Terrence Crawford was going for the kill from the eighth round on. It took a little while, but it eventually was going to happen, and it did. He dropped him twice. Yes, I get it. Sean Porter was mad. Sean Porter was pissed off. Sean Porter felt like he probably could have done more to avoid getting dropped that second time. So he was punching the ring. Great scene. He's hitting the ring like, damn, how did I get dropped again? Didn't seem that hurt. When he gets up, it looked like his leg wobbled a little bit to me. You be the judge. Catch the replay. Even if you don't think so, he was clearly dropped twice. Getting landed on clean. Wasn't doing anything effectively, offensively, especially not defensively. Wasn't protecting himself at all. Go back and watch that round and watch the previous two rounds before it. Sean Porter was getting tagged. Crawford made a conscious decision in the eighth round to stand and trade with Sean Porter, and that's what won him the fight. Earlier in the fight, he started the fight off in the orthodox um, stance in the first round. Didn't have any success in the first round. Porter clearly won that, that round. The second round I gave to Crawford, but it was also a close round. He started it orthodox about a minute into the fight, into the round. He switched southpaw, southpaw, and that's just some of the adjustments Terrence Crawford made. Terrence Crawford was much more effective as a southpaw, but earlier in the fight, he tried to evade. He tried to move back while catching Porter coming in. 
stepping back with hooks. He landed a few of them, but I don't think that was his best path to victory, which is why I think he realized the only way to get Porter out of there is to stand and trade with him, make him miss, land more clean, which is exactly what he did. The much more accurate puncher throughout the fight was Terrence Crawford. The guy who made the adjustments all night was Terrence Crawford. Sean Porter did well in mixing up his style. He wasn't always just going in headfirst like a bull. He was switching it up. He, there were times where he was standing in the corner for about 20 seconds. Crawford had him cornered, and Porter looked like he was just setting him up for something. Crawford didn't take the bait. He eventually let Porter out the out the corner, but I don't think that would have happened later in the fight. Crawford had a different mentality, mentality later in the fight. I believe there's footage of someone saying, I don't know if it was his corner man or someone at ringside said to Crawford in between rounds, they got him up, talking about Porter. I think he may have talk, been talking about the unofficial scorecards or something like that, but he said, they got him up. Crawford said, I'm up. The guy said, no, he's up. Crawford responded, he's up? Oh, he's up? Bet. And then went out and got the stoppage. So that just shows the mentality of Crawford, the adjustments throughout the fight that he made, and his skill level as a whole. He was very good defensively. He was great offensively. He did it all in the ring from both stances again, showing that if you think Terrence Crawford is the best fighter in the world, then you're right. I'm not going to argue it. I don't know anyone else that could argue it. When you talk about pound for pound, the thing about, the thing against Terrence Crawford was his resume. Yes, he passes the eye test. Yes, he does all this stuff. He's amazing. But he hasn't fought a guy at welterweight that has tested him or that has had the credentials to test him. And Sean Porter was that guy, and we saw what happened. He got stopped. The questions were answered, in my opinion. The questions were answered. What happens when a guy like Sean Porter gets in the ring with Terrence Crawford? You know what happens? He gets stopped. Just like everyone else at Welterweight has been stopped. He proved he was right. Now it's time for Spence Crawford. That's the fight we need to see. I would like to see it. If I'm making fights, I would like to see it at the end of next year. And here's why. I want to see two other matchups. I mean, one other matchup for each fighter. To not only build the hype but get them, keep them active throughout the year and deliver some fun fights that I think would be really fun, whether it's Josh Taylor against Terrence Crawford, which has been rumored. I think that's a fun fight that Bud wins. And we can get Earl Spence versus a Jordanas Ugas or a Keith Thurman, both guys who I think will bring a competitive fight and a losing effort to Earl Spence. So I think if both guys can get those fights that I just mentioned and then meet each other at the end of the year, I think that'll be the best case scenario because as much as I would love for Errol Spence to come back and fight Terrence Crawford with no warm-up or no nothing like that, no tune-up, I don't want him to lose and have that as a question mark. Like, oh, you know, he wasn't ready. He had so much time off. I don't want there to be any any excuses for either man because someone has to lose this fight. So I want both men at their best, both men active, and also building the fight up. So these guys aren't huge pay-per-view stars. They can move numbers. Together, they're going to move their best number. But I think there's even more room for growth as far as from a marketable standpoint and even as a quality standpoint, if guys can get one more fight early next year and then face each other 
later in the year. But that's something we'll have to wait and see. Something we don't have to wait much longer for is this weekend. Live on Showtime, one of the best fights that was announced earlier in this year. It got pushed back. But we're finally getting it to close off a loaded month of November. And that is the Super Bantamweight Championship is on the line. Both championships are on the line. The WBO and the WBC Super Bantamweight Championships. Brandon Figueroa, 22-0, 17 knockouts against Cool Boy, Steph Fulton, 19-0, 8 knockouts. The two best Super Bantamweights in the world going against each other this weekend. It's what we say we always want, and that's the best fighting the best. These two are the best. It's a true pick em. Two prime undefeated champions unifying to see who the best truly is. Brandon Figueroa varies his speeds very well. Boxes with a jab from the orthodox style, but brawls and smothers guys from the southpaw. Guy throws a ton. He actually throws the most in the entire division. So he's a high-volume guy. He stalks his opponent all night. He has relentless pressure. He does this thing where he holds a guy with one arm while punching with the other. Not necessarily legal. Kind of reminds me of Robert Guerrero, Robert the Ghost Guerrero, where he does this illegal tactic, but he gets away with it so much that it's become part of his style. But he will grab you, hold the back of your head, and hit you with the other hand like it's a street fight. His hand, his feet are a little too slow for my liking. He cuts pretty easily. Those are some of the things I noticed in the previous fights of Brandon Figueroa. So I don't know how his how his face will hold up. Hopefully he doesn't. He looks like a guy that will get stopped by a cut eventually in his career. You heard it here first. Guy's undefeated as we speak, but I've seen him get cut fairly easily. He's got that Pauli Malignaggi face, that face that just you slap in and starts bleeding. Got one of those faces. He's going against Stephen Fulton, ultimate boxer. He uses his jab incredibly well, effectively outside, but will sit down on his combinations as well, especially to the body. Fulton does it all, man. He's shown he can adapt to other opponent style. He's the type that'll take away your best thing. Um, in his last fight, he was the challenger against undefeated champion Angelo Leo. I don't know if you know of him. He's from Mayweather Promotions. He was a highly titled guy, a really good fighter. But in that fight, Stephen Fulton doubled his career average output. Doubled his output. He threw over 100 punches per round. He outworked the worker. Angelo Leo was supposed to be this high-volume guy that's going to come in there and just outwork Fulton. That wasn't the case. Stephen Fulton got a clear victory against Leo. Outworked him. Beat him up. Blooded him up. He's going to have to do the same thing against Figueroa. Figueroa throws the most punches in the division. He averages 99 punches per round. 30% of those punches are power shots. This guy's going for the kill. He's going for a knockout. Usually this way, you don't see many knockout punchers. Figueroa isn't necessarily a one-punch guy, but he will wear you down. 99 punches per round will wear you down, especially when 30 of them are power shots. It should be a wildly entertaining fight. It's going to be a display of skill as well. as I'm sure there's going to be a lot of violence in there, but there will be masterful skills by both guys. These are the two best in the division. I think Fulton could pull it off in a split decision type fight, really close fight, but he got to stay off the ropes. I've seen him on the ropes a little bit too much in other fights. If he does that against Figueroa, he's going to have some serious issues on his hand. Figueroa is going to throw 90 punches, 99, excuse me, 99 punches around. Think about that. In case you didn't hear me earlier, 99 punches per round from Brandon Figueroa. So is Fulton going to match that output again like he did with Leo? Or is he going to try and outbox him, 
from the outside. I don't know. It's going to be interesting to watch. That's on Showtime this weekend, Saturday night, Saturday, November 27th on Showtime. Raiz Alim is also on that card. He's easily my favorite super bantamweight. I'd like to see him get a shot at the winner. He's in the co-main event. He's 18-0 with 12 knockouts. He's on the undercard on Showtime. Look for him to make a statement so he can get that fight against the champion in the future, even or even the loser of that fight. He's got to get a big fight. Those are the two best. Alim, to me, is right there, shortly behind them, but hopefully he gets his opportunity to see if he can surpass them. That's Saturday on Showtime, but that's not the only action of the night. It is the return of the takeover over on DAZN, of all places. DAZN is where you can find Teofimo Lopez versus George Cambosos for the lightweight championship of the world. It's interesting how we've gotten here. It's taken forever. It went to purse bid when originally Top Rank was only offering Teofimo his minimum for fighting George Cambosos because they felt Cambosos wasn't a big enough draw for Tiafimo to earn his maximum or, maximum or even anything above his minimum payday. So when the two the two fighters couldn't come to an agreement over the purse, the fight then went to a purse bid where anyone can bid on the fight. And if they win the bid, they have the rights to promote it. Triller, famous for Mike Tyson versus Roy Jones Jr., the app Triller, who has put together a few boxing pay-per-views involving Jake Paul, um, Logan Paul, I believe, too, Mike Tyson. A lot of old fights, a lot of MMA versus boxer fights. They said, hey, we got money. They threw in a bunch of money on the Tiafimo Lopez fight, thinking they were going to capitalize. Tiafimo was coming off the victory of Lomachenko, had a lot of buzz, wanted to see what he was doing next, and Triller came out of nowhere. Shocked the world, threw a bunch of money on it. Then became the problem. The Triller has had multiple problems with promotions in the past. This was just one of their instances. But they didn't have much good promotion for it. Tickets weren't selling well. They had problems with the undercard. There was announced first that De La Hoya was going to be a part of the card. Then they had a press conference with press conference with um, Evander Holyfield. He was supposed to be on the card. Then it was announced Tiafimo caught COVID. So they wanted to continue with the fight, but not have Tiafimo's opponent on it. They wanted to do Evander Holyfield on a main event. Somehow they put that on a pay-per-view. I'm sure it sold probably nine or ten pay-per-views. Um, then from there, there was an argument of the date, and they wanted to bring the fight to Australia to maximize its revenue, with Cambosos being a big star in Australia. Tiafimo said, I'm not going to Australia. We don't even have to do the fight. Then they wanted to do MSG as part of a versus battle. Excuse me, they wanted to do Barclays as part of a versus battle. And then MSG got involved. It was a huge ordeal. Eventually, Triller loses the fight because they would... They were doing too much, changing too many dates, changing the venues, changing the fighters' pay, changing everything. They dropped the ball from the beginning, and the fighters said, listen, we're not doing this. We're taking it to the IBF. The IBF said, you guys have lost rights to the fight. The fight will then go to the next bidder, the second bidder, 
wasn't top rank either. The second bidder was DAZN. And so DAZN got the fight this Saturday. Lightweight championships on the line. Teofimo Lopez, 16-0, 12 knockouts. Undisputed lightweight champion going against George Cambosos, 19-0 with 10 knockouts out of Australia. Listen, Cambosos' skills, as far as his skills are, they're solid. They're solid. Nothing more, nothing less. Nothing flashy about him. Everything fairly average at the championship level. But he has grit. He's been matched up really tough early in his career, but he finds a way to win. There was times where he wasn't the expected winner against another prospect. He got the win. His heart and determination fueled him to tough decisions. But Saturday, he's overmatched. Cambosos, like I said, he's solid. He likes to come forward. He looks underdeveloped on his back foot to me. He implemented it a little bit against Lee Selby in his last fight. Um, It was late in the fight. He probably thought he was well ahead, which I thought he was. And he was getting peppered with jabs. So he reverted back to going toe-to-toe. And he took some unnecessary punishment in the process late in that fight. But that's just Cambosos. He's a warrior. He's willing to give it all in that ring. He's probably willing to get knocked out cold in that ring. And that's what I think is going to happen this weekend. I think Tiafimo gets him out of there in three rounds. Just being honest. I don't see anything he throws that will keep Fimo off of him. Fimo is going to force him to move backwards, which I said before, I think he was uncomfortable doing that. Or he's going to stand in exchange with Fimo because he does have heart. He is a warrior. He does have grit. But I don't think either scenario ends well for George Cambosos. Tiafimo's speed, agility, off-the-charts reflexes, and power will be too much for the Australian to handle. We haven't seen Tiafimo in over a year. I don't think he's rusty. I think he's been in shape this whole time. It shows He's showed videos, sparring, videos, working out all year. Looks like he's been around fight shape. I mean, I know he walks around heavier, but his weight cuts are pretty extreme and happened last minute. But all year, he was pretty much in shape. And since this fight has been dragged out, I'm sure he's had multiple camps. I'm not worried about rust. I'm worried about the moment being too big for for Fimo, where he knows all this pressure's on him. He hasn't fought in front of a crowd in a long time. Maybe something like that could drag this fight on a little bit longer. But even then, I don't see any way Fimo looks bad. Um, I think he's going to show some things that, that Loma showed him. I think if the fight gets into close quarters, pay attention closely to to Tiafimo's clinching and his punching on the break. Something Loma was doing to him late in their fight. And that made Tiafimo uncomfortable. It's remarkable that Tiafimo has only had 16 pro fights. So he's learning things every single fight. He's probably learning more in the past three fights than he learned his entire life boxing. Going against Nakatani, the tall, tough guy to get into, the skills of Lomachenko, and that short fight, but it was a good one, the power of George, excuse me, of Richard Comey when he won the championship. I think he learned something in all three of those last fights. So we're going to see some of the things he learned on display. I expect him to put on a show. I expect a highlight reel knockout in around three rounds 
against George Cambosos. That's on the zone. So we got Tiafimo on the zone. We got Fulton versus Figueroa on Showtime. Fulton Figueroa is the much better, much more competitive matchup. Two undefeated prime champions. And then you got Tiafimo Lopez on the zone, bringing the star power, bringing hopefully a highlight reel knockout. A little bit something for everything this weekend. November continues to roll on. I think it's something we're going to look back on years from now and say, hey, remember that month of November where there was just a banger or two every single weekend? Happy Thanksgiving, guys. Enjoy the fights. I'm out.